Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On today's episode, Poye versus uh, Benoit Saint-Denis, excuse me, it was off. Then it's back on. We'll go over that. Kayla Harrison better make 136 or Holly Holm might have a decision to make. If he loses, Henry Cejudo might be done. Holy cow. Lots to discuss here. Gorgeous George on the con. And look at the distinguished panel we have for you today. SBC creator goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's in Las Vegas down in the 305. It's Danny Segura. And for those of you that speak Spanish, check out Hablemos MMA on YouTube. Nolan King, the Boston shot caller nominated for best journalist in 2023. Shout out to him. He's in Boston. Cold coffee's on the ones and twos. Let's get to it. But before we do, if you would kindly hit that like button, you'd make this jolly Manchester United fan happier than he already is two in a row. It's all about the algorithm, baby. Guys, in early January, so about a month ago, UFC President Dana White announced Dustin Poirier versus Benoit Saint-Denis. The lightweights will be fighting at UFC 299, and they will be featured in the co-main event, is what he told us. Fans and media, safe to say, we're down with that matchup. Caught us out of left field. Then last Thursday, Poirier X'd, or tweeted, whatever, that his fight was off. Damn, I said. But about four hours later, he X'd that the fight was back on after connecting with his manager, Tiki Gosen. Crisis averted, right, guys? So it was speculated on social media that perhaps Poirier wanted a little bit more chatter. Others pointed to the fact that the UFC's out of line for announcing fights before fighters are officially on board. We had leaked messages, DMs. That didn't help the situation either. Then we even heard about BSD, his camp, stating that BSD didn't even know about the fight and was caught off guard. Is it official, by the way? BSD uh, kind of doesn't really roll off the tongue that well. But anyway, of course, Dana White had his go. Blame the media. That's his go-to. We need to unpack this mess panel. I want to know who is to blame here. What did you think of this saga of the pra- and the practice of the UFC announcing fights before they're signed? And in this instance, even verbally agreed to. Danny, you lead off. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. Um, clearly, as multiple people confirmed and you know, it wasn't through anonymous sources or whatever, literally directly from Dustin Poirier, he did not have a, have a deal signed to fight uh, Benoit Saint-Denis prior to him um, sort of backtracking, you know, that day that he let the world know that, hey, you know, the fight is off. Um, and, you know, this was weeks after UFC President Dana White announced that this fight was on and was going to be the common event of UFC uh, 299. Now, I don't think Dana White is just picking names here, matchups, and then just announcing them and then approaching the fighters. No, I'm sure the they were verbally agreed to fight. Perhaps they had some tentative deal in place. But it wasn't official. It wasn't official. There wasn't an official contract from these two saying that this is going to happen and um, everything was buttoned up. So certainly the UFC is getting ahead and announcing things as official when they are not. And this is not just one example from this fight. This has happened on multiple fights. And I think us as media and, and probably Nolan, who does a lot of this, can can confirm you reach out sometimes to fighters and they're like, oh, yeah, they announced it. Well, I said yes, but I haven't signed. And then later they on they go on to sign. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a strange practice from the UFC, specifically, you know, in part of Dana White, who 
is constantly blaming the media for trying to just be first rather than be right. Well, you got to be right too, homie. Like you just can't be first all the time, right? <laughs> and it seems with the UFC just trying to put on fights and trying to make everything always exciting, big announcements everywhere, trying to beat the media to it. It seems sometimes they uh, get ahead of themselves and announce fights that aren't, you know, that is not official. And it's funny how like Dana White later on Instagram went on and attacked the media in specifically a, a, a reporter, but also attacked the media in, in general for this. But it's like we're not making this up like this is coming from your fighter saying that he does not have a contract on record. And then later on apologizing that he jumped the gun uh, for saying that the fight was off. So just the fact that the media is just saying like, hey, this guy's saying this, that doesn't mean we're making up lies. We're just literally saying what the other guy is saying. So really bizarre situation. Um, we all know that jumping the gun, that mistake was obviously uh, most likely a negotiation for Dustin Poirier. And uh, I'm glad he got paid. You saw Gilbert Durinho Burns out there saying that Poirier is going to get a lot of money for this UFC 299 fight. So again, a really bizarre situation. Um, and I just want to remind people, this is not the first time it happens. Let's not remember. Uh, let's remember the fact that Eddie Alvarez was supposed to defend his belt against Khabib Nurmagomedov. And that's something that Dana White has said what's next. But we know that it was clearly uh, Conor McGregor and Habib at that point was just utilized as a negotiation tactic. So, um, yeah, just a really bizarre situation. All in all, glad this fight's happening. It's going to be here in Miami. I'm excited for it. It's a banger and glad uh, Poirier is getting paid too. Yeah. And, you know, behind the scenes, Danny, a lot of people may not know this. Poirier's manager, Tiki Gosen, is actually a homie of Dana. They've known each other for such a long time. Dana used to represent uh tiki when tiki was a fighter and dana wasn't even an owner or promoter of the ufc so that communication should not have broken maybe something where it's uh, one of the matchmakers and a manager in kazakhstan or something like that you know who doesn't have service i get but that connection that was a little bit bizarre uh nolan what are your thoughts on all this bro yeah i mean when this whole thing went down it's it was a, a giant u-turn a giant loop and kind of I think we all kind of felt uh, like we had wasted time at the end of it all. But it's great that the fight's happening. You don't really know what you have until it's gone. I feel like now people are even probably more excited about this fight than they were before all this nonsense happened. But I guess my initial surprise seeing this all go down online was essentially like, it's not really a surprise. You know, I think this has been something that's been going on with the UFC for a long time. Um, you know, not every case is the same. Uh, all these fighters are, uh, you know, talking to different matchmakers. Some of them deal with hunters. Some of them are going through their managers. Some of them are going through direct. So I, I don't like to kind of blanket them all with with one sort of statement. But what I will tell you is when it comes to the recent slew of, of uh, announcements that Dana White's been doing in terms of breaking fights, and I stand by that th that is good fight promotion. It is much better than us getting an email two weeks before that there's going to be, you know, a fight going on and these are the fights for it. And we've already known it. Like, I think the promotion should take some pride in, in trying to make these things seem big and trying to get people invested. And those Dana White announcements do do that. But it comes at the sacrifice of, uh, you know, it, it seems like things are even more premature than in terms of the UFC announcing them. Um, I know of a handful, like, like probably over, definitely over a half dozen uh, fighters that have, you know, not, were not signed or were somewhat cut, caught off guard that this was made official. And so it kind of speaks to a, a, maybe perhaps a, um, 
kind of a, just the culture of the negotiations and how it seems like a lot of times fighters are kind of presented with an opportunity uh, or, or it's presented as an opportunity. They're presented with a fight, you know, this person on this date. And if there's an interest, if there's, yeah, that sounds good to us, then it seems like the negotiating of the actual terms kind of comes afterwards. And granted, a lot of these fighters are on multi-fight deals, but when it comes to specific matchups, a lot of times the fighters, the managers feel that, you know, hey, we're taking a big jump up in competition. Uh, you know, this is a this is a main event now or, you know, we're saving the day. Those sort of things are kind of negotiated uh, seemingly afterwards sometimes. So, um, again, don't like to blanket it all. But I just would say that overall, it's, it's not necessarily surprising to me because I feel like this is something that uh, is just a fact that's been it's been going on. There's been a lot of instances of it over the years. Mm hmm. All right. West Coast in the chat says Dustin did this for the money. I mean, I heard a lot of uh, of those. Do you guys think that that might have happened? Nolan, we'll go back to you. Do you think that might have had even an 1% of truth to it? I mean, yeah, I, I think um, certainly a good theory. It's hard for me to say that that's definitely what happened. But to me, I think when you come out publicly and you say something like this, um, I have a hard time believing that there wasn't a lot of thought that went into making a statement like that, right? That there wasn't some sort of intention. And so for him to say that he didn't speak to his manager for days, I kind of have trouble believing that, but I don't necessarily, I mean, again, I'm not there in the group chat listening to all this go down. So I don't really know. Um, but yeah, definitely an, an unusual situation. And I guess, you know, you can kind of maybe perhaps read between the lines that um, Dustin, whatever happened, you know, if, he, if he's saying there was a misunderstanding, I would say that, the correction, whether it was actually a misunderstanding or not, has him satisfied, which I guess is the whole point of this whole thing. So good for him. West Coast, clear up your comment. You said typically you do research before just running with what people say. Who are you referring to? Uh, you can participate here. As you see, anything that comes across a little negative, I'll still read it if it's constructive and it's part of the conversation. If you're listening on Facebook, same thing. You can bring forth a question or a comment. Uh, Danny, you wanted to chime in? It sounds like. Yeah, people did their research. They reached out to Poria. I know many people did, and I know MMA Junkie, we did as well. Like, we, trust me, like, the research was done, and it was pretty clear that up to that point, uh, there was no official contract for them to fight, even though it was probably verbally agreed. So, you know, that's 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 what was being reported. Um, just because you have a graphic that says it's happening, that doesn't mean legally uh, there's something in place that is pointing that that fight is going to go down. Um, and, and look, and I would say for the people that might not believe this is a, a negotiation tactic, like, look, if, if, saying your fight is off, it's a monumental thing. Like you're not fighting somebody the next day. Like that's pretty big news, right? Before you tweet that out, before you post that, you would probably want to confirm that whether it's with the UFC or your manager, right? You just don't go, I haven't heard about it in a few days. I'm just going to say it's off. Like, no, you that's something you would want to confirm before announcing to the world that it's off. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm sure there was some miscommunication, right? Cha-ching. Joseph Boza says he heard a reaction video from James Lynch that Dustin would only take this fight if it was five rounds. I guess that sounds, you know, plausible. Uh, and maybe that's what needed to be cleared up. But that it was originally announced with additional for five rounds, money. Right, or, is I think so, Danny. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Goes is not just a bystander here. He's part of the panel, but we've kind of 
glossed over him a little bit. Goes, what was your thoughts on how all this was playing out last week? Uh, a fight that we were looking forward to that caught us out of left field, and then all of a sudden off, and then back on. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there's so many different uh, avenues you can go down. You know, just looking at the chat and, and different things that they're speculating. Nobody's really wrong in all this. Like, if I were Dustin Poirier, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, you can probably leverage some more money or or more things out of that situation. I think overall for the UFC, I think it's just a bad practice. It looks sloppy and it can get kind of dangerous, you know, because so many people are affected by it. the confusion that it creates amongst fighters, amongst the media, amongst the fans. Um, I think it's, it's not much of a bigger deal because a lot of the times this kind of ends with a happy ending, right? Like every, the fight usually goes off and, you know, maybe somebody gets a little bit more money behind the scenes or gets promised something, but it, we usually get the fight and that's all that, that really matters. What concerns me is that's just not life. And one of these days it's not going to go down like that. And we are going to miss out on a fight or something. And that can be kind of dangerous, you know, especially considering the fact that there are some people that buy tickets based on certain fighters or certain gyms, you know, that they want to kind of go and be at that person's fight. It's a make or break fight. Sometimes, you know, if you, if you want to pony up the money to go travel and go see one of these events, and then all of a sudden, the fighter's no longer there and you find out, well, he was never there to begin with, that can kind of suck, right? So there's so many bad things that can come out of this. And it just seems like something that, uh, I mean, everybody just just jumped the gun on this one, but it seems like something that can be dialed down. It doesn't seem like the most difficult thing. And we do see this a lot in uh, entertainment. You know, that's happened before at like Comic-Cons and stuff like that. They're so eager to make an announcement that they make it and things aren't finalized. And what happens with the actor, you know, they, they usually end up benefiting from that, but it can create a lot of confusion and it just seems like something that can be fixed easily, but it happens pretty often. And this was like a month apart. Dana did these announcements in early January. I looked it up. It was like the seventh or eighth. And here we are. What this went down in early February. You're right. Goes. There are a lot of people that are just marks for a fighter. Maybe that's not the right word. Fans for a fighter. Right. And they may only be going because, Poyer's on the card, so you book your flights, your hotels, all that. Then you see that you're like, "What the?" It's a little, a little bit of unprofessional uh, activity from the fighter who apologized, you know, lack of communication or whatever. And but yeah, Dana's go-to is to just always blame the media. And man, let me tell you guys, I'll tell the chat. You guys know this. A fighter can tell me I'm fighting on this date. I can bring it to the editorial, and the editorial will still tell me, "Well, confirm it with the other side." And we really mm-hmm. do double check you know, our work. And that's why for us, maybe it sounds like we're complaining about it, but no, we're just defending ourselves. I mean, we basically do our job, man. Um, All right. Here's some comments that are coming through. Denial 218 says it's called leverage gentlemen, perhaps, but again, a month apart. And uh, I don't know. I just think, I, I just think, you know, fighters aren't bulletproof they just sometimes jump the gun like 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 you said well one foot out the door says could have been a rough sparring session mild injury yeah maybe big mace 304 9 out of 10 times sandini wins that fight you know i think poye is the early favorite by the way so not everyone's agreeing with big mace 304 keep them coming folks joseph bozas has been wah at uh, ain't no joke at 155 pounds i think he's 5 and 0 since calling 155 home uh we'll get to some more of these as we continue uh want to go to the next topic here former ufc bantamweight champion holly holmes stated last week that there are some concerns about 
Kayla Harrison's debut at 135 pounds. Harrison has competed mostly as a lightweight, which is 155, same as the men. Once as a featherweight over at Invicta. She did a pit stop a few years ago. And a late notice fight just this year. No, excuse me, late last year against Aspen Ladd. It was late notice, so they agreed to 150. So technically lightweight, but the plan was to go to uh, feather for that. So I want to ask you guys, home is 42. You already know that this probably is a final type of run. Respect. Look, she's a former champ. She's got decorated wins. She's taken on all the best. She has a key win over the current champ, Raquel Pennington. I think we can call it a last chance at reclaiming gold. Um, an opponent that misses weight, however, could detour that. Maybe the fight's off altogether. You got to win these fights so that your stock keeps going up. To be fair, Harrison hasn't missed uh, weight as an MMA fighter. I'm not sure about the Olympics and all that, you know, or, or I haven't heard of anything like that. Thorough professional. But I just want to know from you guys, does this booking feel at all kind of shaky with everything around it? Or are you comfortable with the matchup? Nolan, you go first. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with it. You know, I think in terms of athletes, in terms of taking themselves seriously and being focused and being confident and knowing their bodies, I mean, who better to know themselves than an Olympic athlete, right? So I think Kayla Harrison from day one has been super professional with everything that she's done in the sport. I think she's been pretty honest. And if she has done a couple of test cuts uh, and if she's been planning this for a while, like how let's, let's think about that for a second. We don't know how long in her head that she's known that she's going to try to do, uh, you know, bantamweight for her next fight. Um, so maybe this has been something that's been calculated for quite some time. Am I nervous about it? Yes. Do I have concerns about it? Yes. Um, she is obviously anybody that's been around her. She is a uh, very big woman for 135 pounds. So I'm sure that there's uh, a lot, you know, hopefully she has a whole team of people helping her, uh, you know, calculate this whole thing. But I'm not willing to write it off as impossible. And as far as the matchup goes, uh, you know, I actually kind of think it's it's pretty intriguing. It's more intriguing than I would have expected the UFC um, to, you know, more of an intriguing booking than I would have expected the UFC to book for her first fight. And I do give them credit for giving pretty legitimate matchups to high-level free agents. There's no fluff. There's no kind of setup fights. Um, she's being challenged right off the bat in kind of a title eliminator scenario. Um, so I dig it. I, I think the scenario all around um, is kind of the right next step for everybody involved. You know, she can what, – what, what else did she really have to prove in PFL? Sure, the Cyborg fight would have been great. It would have been huge. It would have been a big name for her resume. But for me, in terms of her legacy, if she goes on to be UFC champion, I mean, that's better than any sort of win that she could get, I think, at this point in time in PFL. So um, I'm excited by it. A little bit of hesitation, a little bit of concern. But overall, uh, I'm pretty optimistic that we will see them fight uh, and that they both will make weight. Nolan, you know, uh, Chandler got Dan Hooker. Ben Askren got Robbie Lawler. Eddie Alvarez got Donald Cerrone. And there's probably some great examples from MVP in Holland. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, do you think there's still a chip on the UFC shoulder of, hey, we're going to give you a tough matchup because we want to possibly show that where you came from, we're way superior? Or do you think it's just about paying them respect and just putting them against the top opponent and that's all in the past? Because I think the UFC used to be a little petty back then like that. I don't blame them because they used to be called number two at one point to pride. And I used to actually campaign that the UFC fighters were just as tough as the fight uh, pride fighters back in the day but what are your thoughts no I think that there certainly was an error I believe in like that on the ultimate fighter one season they actually bleeped the word Bellator I don't know if you guys remember there, there was something along those lines or maybe maybe they finally said the word Bellator for the first time and it was kind of an insult by Dana like oh this guy you know 
fought in Bellator and he, he insulted it. But um, I think over time, they've certainly advanced, uh, you know, that you hear John Anik mention it. I think Michael, uh, Michael Chandler was introduced by Bruce Buffer as the former Bellator champion at one point. So and I, th- I think the UFC is taking the right approach, right? Like if you are the number one leading promotion in the world, like by a, a mile, which they are, I mean, that's it's the UFC. Why be intimidated? Why kind of come off as kind of petty like that? And so I think they've taken the approach that like, you know, they're giving these guys, uh, they're entrusting in these guys' abilities. Like, sure, there are great fighters that exist outside the promotion and let's try to bring them in. But once they get here, you know, we're paying them probably a solid amount of money. Like we're going to give them the matchups that we would be paying UFC athletes for that amount of money. So um, I know actually towards the end of the, uh, um, the old regime at Bellator, there were some pretty, from what I'd heard, there was some open communication between those two promotions about fighters and about free agents and stuff. So I don't think the UFC's put their back up um, necessarily at, at trying to acknowledge and even sign some of these guys that are top promo- fighters living, uh, you know, living in other promotions. Um, some of Dana White's press conferences now, even on the Contender Series uh, weeks, have been essentially about all fighters that aren't even his without, you know, between boxing and between MVP and Kayla Harrison and all this other stuff. So good on the UFC for, for kind of not putting their back up and, and pretending that other promotions don't exist. And it leads to, uh, you know, great promotion for them once they do notch one of these signings. I love this fight booking, by the way. And I know this much. Uh, I don't definitely don't want to jinx the fight, but if Kayla doesn't make it, she's going to almost die trying. She's definitely not going to quit. And that I think, Holly Holm will probably gauge that and see, but at this point, let's just stay positive like she can, and we'll make that weight. Lyman Good, I think, was that name, by the way, Nolan, that was on The Ultimate Fighter, and uh, funny enough, he actually was signed by the UFC later on and had quite a few fights. I'm not even sure if he's still there, but uh, all right, he's still next on the roster, here. but he has not fought for a long time. I don't know what's up mm-hmm. with him. Maybe we got to check in with Lyman Good sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tiger Shulman, right? In New York, all right. Goes. How about you, man? You you pretty confident this fight's going to go down? Yeah, I mean, I'm confident that we're going to get there. I think uh, Kayla Harrison. You know, if you want to put any stock into anybody in this situation, it's going to be an Olympic caliber athlete, right? And not just being an Olympic athlete is so impressive. Everything that you have to do to be there, but to actually win, that's just a whole different breed. And I, I commend her for doing the test cut, and I understand that. I, I think that's a good thing to do. But I don't want to hold too much stock into it because you have to remember being able to cut weight and be in your home gym or at home and do that is way different than having to do it at the end of a camp in a stressful situation on the road. Um, It's just it's very, very different. There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of stress that comes into play, too. So it's going to be tough. Um, But like George said, Kayla Harrison, I think, will do anything to get there because that's just the way she operates. Is that a good thing in the long run? Probably not because uh, making the weight, that's great, but we need you to perform at a high level that we're used to seeing. And this is going to be way different from her, right? A lot of weight loss here. How is her body going to react in the fight? How much is that going to affect her performance? There's so much that I have confidence in her getting to the weight. I just don't know about the actual performance itself. Holly Holm being a veteran of the sport, I think she has every right to demand this, you know, to, to kind of put this out there. Uh, she's earned it. But I would be, you know, I actually think it's a little bit of mental warf- warfare. Like, why not add on to this? Why not pile onto this to kind of get into your opponent's head 
I would definitely do the things that Holly Holm is doing. But uh, Kayla Harrison making that weight, I'm pretty sure she'll make it. Performing well at that weight, it could happen. But uh, there are a lot of things working against her. Our guy down in Miami, Danny Segura, I think he's actually uh, pretty tight with the Harrison camp. You're going to make a trip down to ATT and peek in and see what all what the progress is like, Danny? And, and what, you have yeah. faith in, in her making the weight. Yeah, for sure. At some point. And I have talked to Kayla since, um, um, you know, since the announcement. Now, um, I think she's holding a, a off on doing a, a little bit of media. Um, but anyways, back to like the original question, um, just to give people some insight. You know, I live down here in South Florida, so I've obviously uh, frequent American top team, you know, a few times in the year and, and talked to the athletes there. And I've talked to both Amanda Nunes and Kayla Harrison, and I've been next to both of them multiple times, and they're about the same height, I would say. Harrison might be a little bit more stocky, at least upper body-wise, um, but I don't think there's like a huge size difference, and we know that um, Amanda Nunes made 135, you know, over and over again. We know that the cuts weren't easy, but, you know, we, we were never worried about her. So um, I, I would have loved to seen this test cut as far as like getting a picture of the numbers on the scale or something just to have further proof. Um, but even without it, I, I do think Kayla Harrison can make 135. I think, again, just based on sort of me gauging her size along with Amanda Nunes. Now, for some people, are, are obviously cutting weight can be a little bit harder than others, but I, I do think she makes 135. We've seen her cut to 145. And she looks a little bit drained, but she it's not like she's looked like death like some other fighters and shaking and stumbling and can barely get on the scale by herself. So um, I do think she can make 135. Will it affect her performance? That I think we're going to have to wait and find out. One thing is maybe, you know, making the way to do some sparrings in the gym. The other is actually performing in an actual fight. So so we'll see. But. I'm staying positive because Kayla Harrison at 135, I think this is great news for the UFC. I think the women's bantamweight division in the UFC has uh, decreased a ton in, in terms of interest and star power. You can argue that maybe it's the worst division currently in the UFC, and they are in a huge need of someone like Kayla Harrison, someone that uh, is super competitive, that's very skilled, that is very uh, bold on the mic, that does media, that's very uh, charismatic. I mean, if you're looking for your next star at 135 pounds, Kayla Harrison's the name, and putting her in a huge stage like UFC 300 against a a, a historic name like Holly Holm, um, I think you know they're setting up the stage for her to become a, a big player in the UFC. So we'll see. Again, I'm hoping for the best because I do think it, the division needs it. But um, but I, I think it's completely fair and healthy to have some concerns. Look, we've never seen Kayla Harrison at 135. And whenever there's a fighter uh, debuting in a new weight class, uh, I don't care who they are. You always have to have uh, a little bit of an asterisk, a little bit of a question in there um, and not, you know, just take it as a given that they're going to be at their best. I'm having these vibes of Patricio Pitbull Frady, who I thought was going to smash at 135 and he looked flat. I'm hoping that doesn't happen to Kayla. guys. Let me push back on something here. And it's not you guys, but um, why is it that 135 is getting crapped on? Like, I get it. It's not deep. Strawweight and flyweight has more bodies, right? But I would argue that 135 has more notable names that you can build fight night main events or just throw on there where fans at the stadium recognize um, Misha, 
uh, Pena, now the champ, Raquel, Kayla, Holly, Ketlin, Irene. Well, I should have said their last names too. But I feel like there's, I mean, that's a good, it's almost 10 right there. That's what, like eight to 10 names, I feel. I, I don't think you could just rattle off eight flyweight or strawweight women that are like, you know, I don't know. Again, why why this division is getting crapped on so much. RC from DC and RC show just wanted to abolish it altogether. That's how I felt about 145 women's, and I think they have. But I'm not on board with that. Or am I off? Let me know if I'm tripping. Um, I would say yes and no. I'm not on board with that as well. And I think from coming from RC, I think it's a really ignorant statement. I mean, if, if you've been a fan for long enough, uh, you probably look at 205 now compared to, you know, 10 years ago and you go, you got to ax that division too. I mean, the, 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 the days when the pride merge happened and we had that amazing 205 division, you just can't even fathom the, the current state of it. Uh, but that doesn't mean it should be axed. Historically, it's a very important division. And the same thing for women's uh, bantamweight. Um, I, I, even though I don't think it should be axed, they should stay. Um, I think people got to understand that this is a sport of boom and bust. Uh, divisions go through ups and downs. And I think right now the women's bantamweight division is a bit on a down. And, and part of that is, yes, you're right, uh, George. There are legacy names, as, as you mentioned. But there aren't those exciting contenders and there aren't. There, there have been some good fights, but there aren't great fights. I mean, look at the title fights that we've seen between Grasso and Shevchenko. Amazing. Um, and look at all the contenders that promised to, to take that belt away from either Shevchenko or uh, Grasso, whoever it is that ends up uh, keeping it after they do their trilogy. Um, at 135, it's like there are those legacy names, but that's about it. There isn't much fresh contenders that you go, ooh, man, this girl's going to push the, the boundaries on uh, what greatness is in in the division, um, so I just think it's in a bit of a lull. But you know, that's kind of how the sport works. I'm sure in in some time we're we're going to be talking about how great it is. That was the case for 125 a few years ago. If people don't remember, that yeah. division was kind of seen as the worst, and now I would argue that it's the best women's division. Mm -hmm. I still think RC yeah. was off. You, you, that division does not need to be axed. In fact, yeah, you better yeah. ax somebody, RC. <laughs> uh, these ladies are are legit. They're getting older. I'll give you that. I'll grant you that. And is there a new wave coming in? I don't know. Nolan, did you want to pipe in? I, I was just going to say, I feel like it's very stuck in time. You know, I think a lot of people look at the division. Yeah. It's like the same as it was, except the best fighter in that division no longer fights there. So that's a problem. And I will say, though, you know, things uh, wax and wane in MMA. We see waves of talent come in. I think it's a little concerning in terms of, the next wave like we don't really have those sort of budding people that are 2-0 in the UFC that people are starting to get a little excited about um I think that's kind of a problem as well and, and looking at the regional scene like I do the prospect thing every on the doorstep every month for my junkie very very rarely if ever do I have a uh, 135 pound woman kind of as somebody that's like busting out the ups, outside you know as somebody that's like man this girl's got a lot of potential she might be a star like it's it's slim pickings out there so maybe where, uh, you know, a year from now will be different. But I, I think Kayla Harrison being that bridge to, to see if there's other things on the other side of the rainbow here um, is, is a perfect sort of scenario for the UFC right now. I would argue that the UFC needs Kayla Harrison more at this stage than Kayla Harrison needs the UFC. Probably. Yeah. She's uh -huh. got money, right? Yeah. I mean, she could easily stay at PFL, fought Chris Cyborg. Larissa Pacheco. I mean, we're talking about legacy names. Kat Zingano's out there. They, she, she had plenty of business out there. That's interesting. 
Uh, I oh, I think Pacheco and Cyborg are two massive names. I wish he would have yeah. done that, like Ghost said last week, and then come over to the UFC. But man, I'm telling you, there's something about what I've seen with Michael Chandler and what he was at Bellator, and not as many people are watching, and what he's become now. And I just think that they, these guys, these fighters, they talk about it. It's out there. So many doors can open for you. Uh, she's got monster written all over her, and probably other. Uh, companies and maybe even moving in behind the mic at some point because she is a pretty good talker so be great at that yeah she's done I don't know, it's pretty even i think it's i think it's pretty even to tell you the truth but yeah i would have loved for her to have those fights it's not even a trilogy it's a fourth fight versus pacheco no one's trying to say she's not up to one but uh that just needed to be run back because she basically now she's a two-time champion she might even argue pacheco might even argue that she might be the greatest women's fighter ever. I don't know, especially if she wins the third. I don't even. She, I don't even know if she's going to be in the next season. I guess they're just doing flyweight. So never mind. We got to move on. Nasserdine Imovov defeated Roma Delite in the main event at UFC Fight Night 235 via majority decision. Yes, a draw was turned in by a veteran and noted judge. I don't know many people that were too fired up pre-fight, much less post-fight regarding this matchup. They're vets. We respect them, but they don't really move the needle, in my opinion. What went wrong here, guys? Too early of a big stage, which, in my opinion, would fall on the matchmaking, or did the fighters just kind of lay an egg, and therefore it fell on them? Who was wrong, or what went wrong? Goes? I feel like there's just a lot of little things that played into this. You know, Pre-fight, these aren't guys that you really hear a lot from. I know there's uh, language barriers, but we've found our ways around that um but when you have a roster this big you have to make sure these fighters fight and in order to do that you're gonna get some of these cards right um i think another thing that played a factor in here is we have three big pay-per-views coming up and i think we're all just our mouths are watering to get to that point and everything before it is kind of like yeah 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 that's cute but get me to these big matchups that we talk about every week i think there's a little bit of that um you know another thing is just all cards aren't created equal in the ufc so it's kind of weird right like if you look at this this matchup this main event i would argue that it you know no disrespect to these fighters but the magnitude of some of these pay-per-views that are coming up i don't even know that this fight makes it on the main card of any of those three cards right it's weird when you turn when you tune into a, a ufc you could have the most amazing card and then sometimes you have some that just don't really mean a whole lot to you Luckily, if you're a sports fan, we're in a time right now where there's not much going on. So, I mean, what else are you going to do, right? For me, I'm going to tune in. I, I love to watch fights. Uh, but the fight itself, it didn't really play out too well. It was kind of weird. There were some things that happened uh, surrounding the fight that kind of made it made it interesting with penalties and Chris Curtis getting into it. Uh, but overall, it just kind of fell flat, man. And I think it's just a combination of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You're right, goes. I'm not sure it does make any of the main cards that are coming up. I, I just wasn't excited about it, but it's the job. And then we watch, and then when it's a letdown, it's like this double blade, man. You know, like yeah, that's what you get for wasting time. Should have watched something else. But anyways, uh, what do you think, Danny? Matchmaking—they're bad, or the fighters—they're bad. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors here, but I think the main one is that the UFC is just having way too many fight cards, way too many events. What are we like 43 a year? That means you're going to have to find 43 compelling main events. And uh, 
it's probably more because some of these pay-per-views, you're stacking them with really good co-mains and really good main cards. Um, so it's just way too many events and there just aren't enough not only elite fighters, but also interesting elite fighters with charisma, whatever you uh, attributes you want to add to that as far as outside of the octagon goes that draw interest, right? There just aren't enough to have a banging main event for every single card every single weekend. That's just not going to be the case. So if as long as you're doing that many events, you're going to have these type of main events every now and then. And I think this weekend as well is, you know, maybe not the... The greatest one, I would argue that on paper, maybe is a little bit better than than this past weekend's. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I just think it's part of the industry. Like these Apex shows, always see them kind of as as a tear down from the shows that are going to be on the road and then the pay per views. So, um, I, I think it's more of a of the way the industry is and the UFC practices more than the than the actual fighters because regularly, if or not regularly, but but maybe some time ago. We would have seen these two fight, you know, in the opening of a main card or, or something like that, because it is an important middleweight fight. But main event, uh, historically, these two wouldn't have headlined a, a UFC event. So I, I think that's where we're at. Mm -hmm. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, hit that like button for us. Share it on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Share, retweet, X, DM, whatever it is. Let's get it out there in more people's eyes. The like button. That's the key, though. So if you can hit that for us. That would be dope. All right, uh, Nolan, what do you think, man? Was it on these guys? There was a lot of stalling against the cage. That illegal shot. Come on, you don't. You ain't more grounded than that guy. You know what I mean? Look like he was uh, a defensive lineman getting ready to rush the quarter. Not that I like that rule, by the way, and I believe it's close to being abolished. But it was clear. So, what, what, what was this more matchmaking or the fighters? Um, I mean when. You get out of the top five of middleweight. I think you're usually in for things like this if the fight doesn't end quickly. Um, with that being said, I think it's just the times, man. Like, it, it's really turned into, not to repeat everything that was just said, but, like, it's turned into, like, if there's guys with and girls with numbers next to their name, you know, particularly in the top 12, like, that, that could be a headliner on an Apex card. So uh, with this 298, 299, 300 wave, just of ridiculously stacked fight nights. We also have kind of an op polar opposite sort of product that's going to split up our, our time here. Um, you know, there's, we can talk about it all we want, but I don't think that's necessarily going to change. I mean, we look at the schedule coming up, right? Like this weekend's card, kind of similar vibes. Then you have, uh, you know, the, the March 16th and March 23rd events, which kind of have similar vibes as well. So, um, Maybe maybe it we're in a, 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 a even more extreme version of the apex sort of vibes that we're getting just because of these stacked cards. But I think overall it's just the way it is now. We got events that are kind of in three tiers, right? You got the the pay per views, you got the um, kind of the fight nights that are maybe on the road that are a little more deep, and then you have the apex shows. And I, I don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon. Josh Wallace, I think, nailed it. They just did not deserve a main event slot, pretty much. You got to be able to get us excited and sell. Now, they're not selling tickets, they're right? The Apex, but sell the fight. You know, why are we tuning in and all that? And then, and like Danny said, this is just is uh, this is a packed schedule. Earlier, before the show started, I wanted clarity on when did Rose fight Ro uh, Manon Furon, which was a fantastic fight. And then Nolan told me, well, that was the co-main event to Cyril Gaon and, and Sergey Spivak. That's a fight night. You know what I mean? So whether it's the Apex or somewhere else, I don't know. 
And then somebody else had it goes this for you. Someone in the chat said, God, I miss DWCS Dana White Contender Series. Mm -hmm. So do I. We get fired up for those on a Tuesday, and we don't even know some of these fighters, mm -hmm. and yet we don't get fi fired up for some Mayfix shows that some of these guys have a number next to them. Why is that? Well, they don't they don't ask for so much of your time too at the, at the same time, right? Like yeah, you know, there's point. a lot that you have to Quick put in on hours. the weekend. So when you're when you're sitting there for the whole weekend and it doesn't pan out, it stings more than a Dana White contender series where you can kind of just fit that into your schedule and it doesn't really make that big of an impact. Um, but the UFC, you know, there's times where the UFC put it, puts out cards that we don't think are going to be that good, and they end up being good, and that happens quite a bit. So they just have to kind of take take the the wins when they get them, and then they got it when they get stung, they got to take that too. This one just didn't pan out for them. A lot of times it does. Did you guys watch um, Bare Knuckle? What did you guys think of that pacing? Dude, that was incredible. The pacing was great. It was just one after another. I wish PFL would do that. Uh, and the fights were fun. There were crazy knockouts. I, I really enjoyed that card. Yeah. I did too. not watch. But something I want to steal a little phrase that uh, Ghost had uh, a few minutes ago that said, you know, not all cards are created equal. Well, not not all nights are created equal. One thing is, hey, uh, you know, let me let me borrow your it's Tuesday night. And other things, let me borrow your Saturday night. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's a big one. Plus, the expectations for the Dana White Contender Series are much lower, right? Like we're looking at prospects. We know what we're getting here. Here, we're, we're uh, Saturday night watching the main event of a, of a UFC card. There's a certain caliber that uh, a lot of us have been have been used to. And Dana White, you're conditioned to fight your ass off, show us something, because you got to win, but you got to show us something. And I, I think even once this season, they took the guy that lost, whereas here they're already more established, more comfortable. Who knows if it's a little bit of that. But um, mm -hmm. maybe the Apex shows should start at 11 a.m. and just call it that Saturday afternoon college football game, you know? versus 5 p.m. where you're cooking steaks and the buddies are coming over and beers and, you know, you're a little bit more fired up. Uh, well, do you want to know what one of the big differences to, George? Mm. Dana White's actually at Dana White's Contender Series. <laughs> I don't think he was even at this card. He was at a boxing event, yeah. Uh, even he looked at it and said, what? Come on. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, Molly McCann, she stopped her losing streak at two. That fight was exciting. She submitted her opponent, Diana Belbita. Uh, beat her again. I think she got her once at a flyweight, too. So this was an impressive strawweight debut for Meatball. Along with some of that equity she brought over from flyweight, she had some wins there, too. Uh, you know, this is looking like a pretty decent move, right? We looks like we might have another player at strawweight. She looks strong and fit. Um, what did you guys think of her performance? Let's start with that. Danny. I thought she looked great. Um, and I love the fact that she she's admitting that she kind of got used to being like this kind of like side character to Patty Pimblet. And she was kind of just being limited by that. And she's like, no, I'm, I, I want to be a, a legit contender and I want to actually fight for the belt, not just be like this personality, uh, this crazy personality. And that means, you know, dialing the, the drinking, the dieting, all that, uh, and the weight cut. And look, I don't know if she's going to be champion. I don't know if she's going to fight for the bell. I see a big gap between her and the current top contenders at 125. But I will say this. Uh, she did look better than she did at uh, 125. Uh, sorry that she was dropping to 115. Um, and, and there's something about Molly that a lot of ladies don't have, which is meanness. Like if you see some of the elbows that she was dropping from top, like 
yeah, she might not be maybe the, the, the most skilled fighter, but she's certainly up there as far as some of the most uh, vicious fighters. And, and that can take you a long way. So let's see what she can do at, at 115. I think that um, her upside is certainly a lot more higher at 115 than 125. So looking forward to that. And and she's still fairly young. Like you can never discard a fighter out uh, completely from, from you know, a, a, a championship fight. So so we'll see what's what's in store for her. But I'm, I'm certainly excited. And I think this is a great move. And Saturday clearly showed it. Danny, give me a good name of someone else that you think could do the same. Maybe they've already made the move. Maybe it's booked to happen. Or maybe it's just a crazy thought you have. And this would fall as a suggestion to the yes. fight after watching. I'm going to go with the suggestion, the crazy thought. Uh, there's no rumors or anything about this, just to be clear. Uh, but Manuel Cape, I think that, you know, Cape is 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 primed for 135 he's missed weight in the ufc a couple of times and by a lot and keep in mind he hasn't been in championship fights so it's with that one pound allowance uh i think he just has to look at what figueredo uh did at 135 and i think he could do the same i think his power would translate he's explosive uh, i don't think he'd be undersized at 135 and uh figueredo kind of transitioned you know at a late stage and he did have success at flyweight keep in mind he was champion at uh at 125, but with, with Cape at uh, 30 years old, I believe, I think I think right now is a good time to switch. You don't want to keep missing weight and then be like, oh, well, no, I was fighting in the wrong weight class once you're 34, 35, and you never had a shot at 125. So um, I think the switch should come now, and I think these past two uh, weight misses should should uh, you know give him a warning that you know he's 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 probably better off at 135. Nolan, how about you, man? What did you think of Meatball's debut at, at Strawway? Denial in the chat. It wasn't too impressed. But how about you? Were you? Yeah, she looked great. I mean, um, I'd like to see her obviously take a step up in competition next time. Uh, but yeah, I think there's certain fighters, you know, we always talk about extreme weight cutting and how that's bad. That doesn't necessarily mean that every fighter shouldn't explore moving down, that there aren't some that do carry extra weight that perhaps they don't need to compete at a high level. So it seemed to me like it was a challenging weight cut for her, but not one that depleted her. She looked great in the cage. And yeah, I think I'm excited to see uh, kind of when she, her to take a, another step up in competition next time up. Do you think it maybe worked against her kind of being that sideshow along with Patty and now she can maybe just focus more on fighting versus entertaining maybe? I don't mean she had a couple of nice nasty elbows, but then it then all of a sudden that that you know ran ran its course. Yeah, I think mentally, I mean, you look at the the early stages of her UFC career, right? They were pretty rocky and and all of a sudden she kind of went on that run. She peaked at a a time where the UFC was going to London and and she was really uh put under the spotlight she signed a big sponsorship uh deal with barstool sports so she uh she had everything going for her so perhaps you know it was kind of a humbling experience to go through these losses again and maybe she's somebody that kind of when the backs up against the wall is is when she really shines so um maybe it was a i'm assuming it stands as a a great refresher for her that you know maybe to kind of lock in and stay focused and focus on the uh the talent that got her to the the ufc to begin with who do you think could make a move, Nolan, and benefit like like the one Molly just did, going up or going down? I mean, I honestly think, uh, or going down, I'm not sure, but going up, like in terms of weight changes, I think Aljamain Sterling going to featherweight. Like talking to somebody about this the other day, I mean, he goes out there. If he beats Calvin Cater um, and it's a, a race, say Volkanovsky wins, right? If it's a race between him and Movsar, um, I know Dana's kind of made comments about Aljo over the years, but I still kind of feel confident that his name recognition would would leapfrog uh, Mobsar, whether it's warranted or not, or we can have the merit discussion. But in the UFC's eyes, I think Aljo versus Volkanovski, um, you know, we could essentially be one fight away from that 
between the two guys. Mm-hmm. Goes thoughts on uh, Molly McCann's debut at Strawweight? I thought it was pretty cool, man. I think uh, kudos to her for turning things around. There's there's not a lot of fighters who take matters into their own hands when it comes to that. They don't like change. You know, routine is a big part of of fighting. You look at a guy like Chris Curtis, right? He must have retired three times, and he came back, changed things around, and look where he's at today and the checks that he's been collecting, right? So for her, I think like Danny alluded to and Nolan, uh, just the weight of having to be almost like a character and being put next to Patty Pimlet, I think that did kind of affect her. And, and that's what stood out the most to me was just mentally. She seemed so different, so chill this fight week. And I really think all that translated into her performance in the cage. Mm-hmm. Chat, uh, Facebook and YouTube, those of you in the chat room, let us know who you think could make a move and uh, make a, you know, have an impressive debut, impressive showing like Meatball Molly. I'll try and read some of those off. We move along here. Looking ahead to UFC 298, which is stacked, by the way. What do you make of Henry Cejudo saying he'd retire if he loses? You buying or nah? Nolan? Nah, I'm not buying it. Um, just because I semi-believed that first retirement and I got fooled. So I don't want him to make me look stupid twice. But uh, I don't know, man. I mean, he obviously... He does his thing. He's the king of cringe. He says stuff that may or may not be true. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's the the smartest gimmick. I think sometimes when you start saying things about, uh, you know, I remember back in the day, I think it was Vinny Magales and Anthony Parash, and and Vinny said something before the fight about, well, if I don't beat this guy, I should retire. And then I think Anthony knocked him out in like six or seven seconds or something down in Brazil. So when you start saying stuff like that, I do think regardless of whether people recognize uh, that you're in a character or you're being yourself or whatever, starting to make those sort of statements, I think, makes people less interested. Like, say he goes out there, he loses, right? I think that people are going to bring that up. It's going to be something they hold over his head. So I don't think it brings more attention to the fight. It's not saying, hey, man, I'm having my retirement fight here. You know, it's not that sort of thing. It's It, it really can only kind of hurt your brand. So um, who knows? I'm going to say that he'll, he'll fight at least once more, though. Shout out to the hippo, Parash. Good pull there, Nolan. That's old school there. I love it. Goes. How about you, man? Uh, is Cejudo going to retire if he loses? Yay, nay. You buying or nah? Goes. By the way, who had the best nah ever? Uh, coming to America. Yes, yes, yes. Right. She she definitely didn't want to want him Akeem to give up his uh his his kingdom. Good I never thought that I'd be talking about coming to America on this show, but I would say that even uh. A more surprise would be Anthony Parosh coming up on this. I love that. No one brought that up. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm, um, I'm absolutely buying this. What what Henry Cejudo is saying. Um, he, he's not just a mixed martial artist. You know, he's he's an Olympic gold medalist. It's a different caliber, and to get to that, it's a lifelong process. You know, this is this combat sports has been a part of his life for so long, and he's always been either at the top or close to. And I think a loss here would kind of take him out of that realm. I don't think he's a, a win one, lose one type of guy. I think if he can't be the best, then I don't think he wants to be out there. And and he's done this so long and probably seen so many people go through this that I think he uh I think he would actually walk away from the sport. And he the first time he did, he established himself outside of our sport so much, you know, with his YouTube channel and all that, that I don't feel like there's that much of a a panic of where's my next paycheck going to come and, and all that. I think he's made some good money, but I think what really drives a guy like 
Henry Cejudo as being the best. And if he thinks he can't be the best, I don't think he really has business being in the sport. And I think he knows that. So I absolutely believe him. Danny, Cejudo retires if he loses. You buying or nah? I believe him. I, I do think there are big fights for him, even if he loses. I, I think there's interest around him. Uh, but still, you know, he, he is turning 37 here in a few days. Um, at bantamweight that is very old he's had uh, a lot of mileage on his body not only through his mma career but also through his wrestling days if, if i'm not mistaken like an injury took him out when he was supposed to fight chito era back, back in august right like he had like a shoulder injury or something um so look he's already you know i'm, I'm assuming he's made a decent buck um we could argue that maybe like his better days are behind him in terms of like building a legacy i don't know if he can surpass becoming a, a double ufc champion in whatever remains on his career um i really do believe that he is down to fight for the title and if there's no path for him back there and that means losing to marab i believe it's over for him so so we'll see but i, I do think I hold I hold there's some truth behind it. I do think that if he loses, he retires or, or maybe he fights one more, if anything. Danny, Kevin Lee, unretired, by the way. How long do you see that going? And if we had a crazy contest just to see who would stick around in the game longer, uh, who, who do you think will stick around longer between Kevin Lee and Cejudo? Kevin Lee, by the way, 31, but serious injury, lost his love for the sport. Uh, you know, I don't know. What, what do you think? Ah, man, I don't know. This is such a tough one. I think Cejudo's just commitment to the sport obviously just seems higher. Um, I, also, I don't know how much Kevin Lee is making, but I would assume that Cejudo's probably making more at this point, uh, which is uh, an even bigger reason to stick around. So uh, I don't know. This is a tough one. I'll go with Cejudo just because Kevin has been very kind of hot and cold in terms of retirement and whatnot. But at the same time, he's you know, almost what, like five years younger than him. So, um, I don't know. That's a tough one, man. Where about you, goes? Who sticks around uh, longer? That is tough, man. Uh, Kevin is just so hot and cold that I think you you have to go with Henry Cejudo. But if Kevin can can come along and, and get a win and build a little bit of momentum, then I can see him sticking around for a little bit. He says he'll be in the best shape ever, but man, when he does lose, he seems to get just absolutely crushed emotionally and. I don't know. How about you, Nolan? Uh, who do you think sticks around longer? Yeah, I'm going to say Cejudo as well, just because I think Kevin's seem seemingly uh, not in character, and he's teetering on the retirement thing. So um, I think they should book him and Patty Pimblett, though, for this next fight. Back at 155, I'm just going to toss that out there. That is not bad matchmaking. I love that. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. Uh, it's so good that I would put yep. Nolite and Imovov as the co-main event to what Nolan just said. <laughs> I like that fight a lot. That's yeah. a good fight. Yeah, me too. All right. Uh, guys, Jim fucking Miller. Should he or shouldn't he at UFC 300? You know who I'm talking about. Bruce Buffer. It's out there. He initially said, no, he just doesn't curse. I shouldn't have maybe. I might have just killed our al al YouTube algorithm. But I wanted to bring it to you the way it is, right? So should he or shouldn't he? We go to goes first. Uh, look, if anybody has earned the right to do things their way, I believe it's Bruce Buffer. You know, he's a class act. And if that's not on his brand, then that's OK. That That's kind of separate from what goes on. So um, I will say this, though, if you're ever going to budge, this is probably the right guy and the right moment to do it. And I don't think any of us 
every every human on this planet has this kind of credit report. You know, when you do something stupid, people remember. When you do good things, they remember that too. Bruce Buffer could could screw up a lot of things, and I think uh, his credit wouldn't go down too much. I think we would all respect him and know that this was just something that was for this moment. Danny, you feel the same way? Should he or shouldn't he? I would say he shouldn't. And I know I'm going to get criticized by the fans on this. And I don't want to come off as this, uh, you know, from like a moral high ground. But look, the sport is clearly in terms of trash talking and, and the content that some of these fighters are putting out in press conferences and stuff. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of stuff is kind of, you know, um, gross. I don't know what else to call it. Uh, you know, it gets a little weird, right? Last thing I would like to see is the actual people that bring the product, you know, uh, be uh, cursing and whatnot. And again, if, if Bruce Buffer said it, would I trip? Do I think it's a big deal? No. But then where do we draw a line? Like, is it cool for Joe Rogan and Anik and all these commentators and, and Paul Felder and Brandon Fitzgerald dropping F-bombs throughout their broadcast? Would that be cool? Like, uh, I certainly wouldn't like it. Um, I'd say, look, leave all that for the fighters. Uh, have the packaging the, the actual people that present this spot kind of be a lot more clean and polished. Um, that's how I would like it personally. But again, I wouldn't cause a big fuzz if, if he did. Uh, so I'm a little bit indifferent about it, but I'll, I'll lean with no. Ronald E. Smith in the chat says, if the man doesn't like cussing, then he shouldn't have to, and people shouldn't bully him into it. All right, Nolan, what do you think, man? Should he or shouldn't he? Um, I kind of actually agree with that comment. Like for me, it's it's not a big deal. If I was in the position, I wouldn't. You know, I think we've, I've been on the show. We sometimes drop expletives, whatever, but um, if he doesn't want to, I don't think he should necessarily be like pressured. You know what I mean? I think people are, uh, everybody kind of has their, can make up their own mind when it comes to that. And if he doesn't feel comfortable with it, like, you know, who's to, who's to force him to say the F word, you know? Damn it. We just lost Chris. We're too soft. He just notified us in the chat. We're too Wait, soft. Chris is gone. He's he's gone. He just he just left. God. Oh, yeah, no, Chris. Should we just end the show right now? I had one more additional, but should we end it? He's he's gone. Yeah, he's, he's still there. I can hear him. I can sense him. Anyway, so let's make this last one quick. DC Daniel Cormier said the UFC. This is crazy. Make it quick, guys. This is crazy. Says. It's not that crazy. I actually love it. He says the UFC should establish 165 pounds. We would call it super lightweight. I think that along with that comes 175 and get, re, getting rid of 170. I've said this for 15 years. I gave up. But he brought it up. And this is DC, right? Respected champ, champ, all that commentator. And he's saying it should feature Conor McGregor. Uh, guys, would you be into that one? Uh, Danny, you start off. Uh, no, in terms of Conor McGregor fighting for the belt, look, I, people that have been following me for quite a while, I've been a big proponent of the 165 division. I think there is a, a need in terms of, uh, the weight for a lot of fighters there, a guy like Colby Covington, Kevin Lee, we were just talking Kevin about, Lee. I think yeah. there are a lot of guys that are primed Nate for 165. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think um, I'm all in for that. But look, if they're going to inaugurate a belt, I think it should be done kind of like what they did at Flyweight years ago with a four-man tournament or something like that. Like the winner of that title should feel like that's the deserving or at the time the best guy. And I know obviously matchmaking and, and over time will determine that, but there has to be some sort of merit. If you're just trying to make up a weight class just to put McGregor back in a championship fight, just to get an opportunity with the belt so you can sell more, 
I don't want that. I don't like that. Whether it's a 165, 155, 170, 185, whatever the case may be, McGregor first needs to get a dub before we start talking about him fighting for the belt. So yes to 165, no to McGregor inaugurating that belt, if that's even a thing. Nolan, you all about 165? If so, would McGregor be one of your two parties? Yeah, I mean, I think the UFC would kind of have to restructure things a little bit. I, I'm not a huge fan of having three weight classes in the span of 15 pounds difference. Um, you know, the Association of Boxing Commissions does recognize super lightweight as a weight yep. class. They also recognize super welterweight, which is 175. So if there was a bigger restructuring scheme, which I think would be kind of a shit show, uh, if the UFC was interested in adding to, you know, adding a 165, I would kind of like to see you know, 160, 155, 165, 175, 185. Yeah. All right. Goes finish up. Uh, I like the idea of the division. Conor McGregor getting that shot. I'm not too big of a fan of it. It just, it just seems silly. But it's a good way to launch it, right? And I mean, yeah, I, I hate, I, I don't like putting the, what is it, the, the, the square peg in the circle. But it's a good way, I guess, of launching it. Kind of like the Titanic. So long, everyone. It's going to be its maiden voyage. Maybe maybe this is the one time we do sneak McGregor in. I mean, they're going to sneak him in with just one win over a lot of other lightweights if he beats uh, Chandler. So why not mm-hmm. maybe launch this thing but with a lot of acclaim? Uh, I'm, I mean, what happens if he loses? Are we going to have a 168 class in, in a year from now and he's going to challenge for that? I mean, you got to draw the line somewhere, right? Yeah, well, that, that would be a little silly. There goes, but yeah, yeah perhaps. Sorry. all right. I, I want to well, retire 170. We just say GSP was the greatest ever. Do 175. You know, at one point, the UFC had 200, they didn't even have 205. Tito Ortiz used to make 200, somehow they bumped it to 205. And so the UFC's kind of done this in the past a little bit. Uh, it's been years, but I'm all about it, and folks. I'm all about you guys for tuning in. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time every Monday, noon Eastern. 9 a.m. Pacific. You guys killed it in the chat. There's been some better chats. So you guys were pretty good. Some haters in there, but that's fine. But look, it's not too late to hit the like button. Some of you guys are uh, watching on replay. All that stuff triggers the algorithm. Like, subscribe to the channel. Just take a look at the channel when you're done and see all of the quality content that's there. And hit that little bell. That'll tell you when we're on live. There's lots of times when we're conducting other uh, streams that are live that you'll like and including the spinning back click again every Monday noon Eastern 9 a.m. Pacific myself goes and our colleagues here uh, from Junkie we discuss all the latest topics in mixed martial arts with that we're out of here we'll see you next Monday go out and be a champion Peace.